Hello and welcome to the new Straight Up Podcast, a show about international affairs with a focus on East Asia and, of course, Taiwan. And if you're listening to this, that means you found the show's new home on the new podcast feed. So thanks so much for following me here. I'm very excited to keep the show going on my own. Some of you may know that I was previously a reporter and host at Radio Taiwan International, and I'm now a reporter at Taiwan Plus. And as much as I enjoy being a, quote, serious journalist, whatever that means, for my day job, uh, I view the show as being a little bit looser in structure and tone, where I can have conversations rather than just interviews. You might even hear me express my opinion from time to time. Imagine that. And now that the show is officially independent, I may also open up the topics covered on the show to go beyond international affairs, as long as they're relevant and interesting. So I hope you'll keep following the show, and if you like it, uh, don't forget to subscribe and tell a friend or two about it. Okay, for my very first guest on Straight Up 2.0, I have none other than Lin Fei Fan. Fei Fan was, of course, one of the leaders of the student-led Sunflower Movement, which began in 2014, before moving into party politics and eventually serving as the Deputy Secretary General of the Democratic Progressive Party, or DPP. He is now currently serving on the board of the DPP's policy think tank, the New Frontier Foundation, and is also on the board of the Taiwan Foundation for Democracy. In this episode, we talk about many topics, including Feifan's transition from student leader to party leader, the DPP's future in a divided government, the lessons learned in the last election, low wages in Taiwan, and of course we talk a little bit about cross-strait relations. I should say that it's important to note that although I do ask Feifan to explain several of the DPP's positions, Everything he says in this conversation is only his personal opinion, and he's not here representing the party in any official capacity. Uh, in fact, I was eager to speak to him specifically because he's not currently in the government, which I think gives us a little more space to have a more open conversation. Also, I want to apologize about the audio quality on my side of the recording for this episode. Due to scheduling, I had to record this interview while I was out of town and away from my usual recording rig. And unfortunately, the set of earbuds I was using, I won't name names, uh, which during normal phone calls actually sound pretty good, sounded terrible on this virtual call. Uh, so this is the first time that my guest actually has better audio quality than I do. Um, I should really ask Feifan which earbuds he was using because they sounded pretty good. Anyway, I promise that I will never sound that bad again, so don't hold it against me. Okay, now I bring you Lin Feifan. Okay, I am here with Lin Fei Fan. Uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I will have given a short pre-recorded intro uh, before this episode, but I like to give my guests an opportunity to describe for our audience what it is they're doing now. So uh, tell us a little bit about uh, what you're doing these days and um, yeah, what's going on in your life. Uh, hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Fei Fan Ling, and thank you, Chris, for inviting me uh, to join your podcast. Um, I am currently the board member of the New Frontier Foundation, uh, which is the DPP official think tank. Uh, I'm in that foundation for uh, one year already. And before that, I was the Deputy Secretary General of the DPP for three and a half years, almost four years under President Tsai Ing-wen. And before I joined politics, I was the uh, uh, one of the student leaders uh, back in 2014 as the Sunflower Movement uh, leaders. Uh, so uh, that movement basically is actually uh, one of the most important movement I participate. Uh, uh, so 
uh, I think some of the Taiwanese people knew me uh, because of that movement. Uh, but later on, I moved into uh, uh, political realms. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and uh, I think it's a great place to start because, uh, you know, as you said, you're quite well known for being one of the leaders of the sunflower movement, and uh, which is a very interesting topic, but uh, a little bit too much to cover in this show. But just uh, for maybe just take like one, you know, one or two minutes for people who maybe have never heard of that before, and and just you know, how would you describe the sunflower movement and your participation in that? Yeah, the, the Sunflower Movement is actually uh, a, a movement happens in 2014, but uh, uh, it's quite unusual in Taiwanese history. That movement is actually focusing on uh, a fight. It's actually a movement fighting against uh, the very controversial uh, trade pact between Taiwan and China uh, during that time. Uh, so the former KMT government uh, signed that agreement uh, in 2013. And uh, 2014, that student decides to occupy the parliament uh, for the uh, uh, very first time uh, in Taiwan's history that we occupied uh, the parliament chamber for 24 days to stop that bill. And we successfully do that in a peaceful means. Uh, we didn't uh, hurt anyone. And while there's some con uh, conflict between police and students and some move social movement participants, but uh, it ended, uh, relatively speaking, is uh, quite peaceful. Um, and it's a successful movement that drew a lot of attentions. Uh, we drawn uh, over a half million people together, uh, together to, to oppose that bill. Yeah. Right. And um, so mm -hmm. at the time, were you still a student at, when that was uh, were going on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. At that time, I was a, a master's student at NTU, uh, National Taiwan University. Yeah. So tell us a little bit that, about that transition from, you know, basically being a student and leading this student movement to uh, becoming mm -hmm. part of the, you know, official apparatus of, you know, the what ended up being the ruling party. Uh, tell us a little bit about that transition. Yes, the... Uh, yeah, that's a quite interesting topic. That, that, uh, I mean, different. Uh, it's definitely two different roles. Um, uh, being a student leader, that you uh, as a social movement leader, that uh, most of the time you only need to think about uh, the movement's objective, and think purely about how to uh, uh, pursue the goals. Uh, uh, the, the, especially the movement's demands. Uh, so usually in the social movement, that's that's a single uh, issue or one or two single issues. Uh, but for uh, being being um, being a politician or being uh, um, people who work in the uh, political apparatus, uh, you really really need to focus more on uh, uh, a, a more comprehensive. Uh, uh, agendas, like uh, you cannot just purely focusing on one or two issues. Uh, you should focus more on what people's demands, uh, not from the uh, specific NGOs or specific student groups, uh, but the demands from the grassroots, from from the civil society. So you you need to figure out uh, the priorities, and uh, it definitely be 
uh, there will be definitely be some choices you have to make, some decisions you have to put, some issues uh, 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 as a priority, some issues will uh, uh, slightly uh, behind your agenda. So that's basically two different thinkings you need to focus on. Yeah. As you move from, yeah, this movement into the, you know, to governing essentially, um, do you, mm -hmm. you know, how do, how do you tackle the issue of like maintaining the goals, ideals and so forth from that movement and putting them into mm -hmm. real practice, you know, because I think it can, like you said, you, when you move into a party, you're, you have to expand your sort of, um, uh, world of possible topics that you want to cover. But at the same time, you know, I get the sense that as someone who made your name in that movement, it's also really important uh, for the people who were part of it to feel that you are still in the spirit of that. So um, I don't know, did you encounter any challenges uh, tackling those two sort of images of yourself? Uh, yes, indeed. <laughs> I feel the conflicts every day, almost every right. day uh, in the practice of, uh, I mean, in the practice of, or at least my daily work. Uh, so basically that, uh, because I'm a came from I came from a background of social movements. Uh, well, not just uh, uh, being a leader of some of our movement. I also participated in a lot of uh, progressive movements. For example, that uh, in the past I joined labor movements, environmental movements, LGBTQ movements, um, and some land issues. Uh, uh, also helping the uh, the people who uh, I mean uh, for uh, I mean. Uh, some human rights issues. Um, so uh, people have that expectation on me. Like uh, I can do the real change or implementation of my ideas uh, into politics. Uh, to be honest, that, that during this course of these four years or almost five years, I feel like uh, I can do something to, to make change. But as my role, uh, in the past, I was the uh, uh, student movement leader. People see my actions. But joining a political apparatus, being a sec deputy secretary general of the party, uh, we are the staffer uh, of the chairperson or the president. So somehow, uh, what you do or what you did, uh, it's not that easy for uh, ordinary people to recognize that you're doing something because you have been, you have, you have changed, you have the chance that you're uh, transferred your roles into uh, uh, an advisor or uh, doing the work behind the scene. So not so many people are really recognizing that, uh, really recognize that uh, 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 what you're uh, doing every day. Uh, some people might know, some people uh, might not know. Uh, so that's a real challenge for me uh, to on the one hand, uh, I'm not standing on uh, the front lines as uh, the, the politician being seen. Uh, right. But on the other hand, people still recognize you as uh, one of the leaders. So you should do something right. like uh, everyone can see you. Uh, but that's a really conflict of the, uh, uh, the, the image or roles uh, of these two different roles. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I can imagine that because, you know, as an activist, it's like mm. your role is almost purely one of communication, right? You know, public communications mm. about the topic you're advocating. But, you know, yeah. being a high level party member, 
uh, I imagine involves a lot more internal diplomacy and um, yeah. face saving and all that kind of stuff. So um, I assume <laughs> that you had to learn, you know, learn how to fly the plane in the air, as we say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's in indeed. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, okay, so, um, you know, part of the reason I invited you on was because Taiwan has obviously just completed this election. And, mm -hmm. um, you know, I feel like you sit in a good position, kind of, uh, given your sort of closeness to the ruling party, the DPP, but with just enough distance, I feel like you can uh, sort of speak your mind. So, uh, I did want to ask you a couple of questions related to the outcome of the election, if that's all right. Mm -hmm. Okay, no um, problem. Yeah. So now that the election is over, um, we have uh, a DPP president-elect, uh, but we have a different party in control of the legislature, the KMT, mm -hmm. and uh, although they also don't have a majority, so there are these eight uh, members from the TPP, were sort of like the uh, critical votes for anything in the future. But, uh, you know, given this kind of situation that we expect to be in for the next four years, um, you know, what are the major goals for the DPP and uh, how do they plan to achieve them in, in this uh, situation with the legislature? Yes, uh, uh, first of all, that uh, uh, we we know that we won the elections uh, for the presidency, uh, uh, but the real challenge is that we lose the uh, the majority uh, in LY. So that would definitely bring uh, LY is the uh, legislative UN. Uh, yes. Just for our, our listeners parliament. who might not know that term, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, so uh, uh, yes, it's actually the fir uh, very first time that in Taiwanese history uh, after democratization that a single uh, political party that uh, wins the third term. Yeah. So it's actually quite unusual, kind, kind of uh, quite uh, unprecedented, uh, I would say. Uh, so uh, I think no uh, political party has experience of that before uh, in Taiwan's history. So we really need to, need to think about how to navigate uh, the possibility, chance, and uh, uh, the the situation or obstacles we need to face uh, uh, in near in, in these four years, so uh, I can I can imagine that uh, in the future four years that uh, uh, the conflicts in uh, the parliament uh, would be very uh, serious somehow because the parties parties uh, party to parties relations right now uh, is not very. Uh, 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 Harmony, so uh, I believe that there will be a, a lot of uh, negotiation that have to take place, a lot of uh, uh, discussion, and a lot of debates, and there will definitely be a lot of conflicts uh, among different uh, different caucus. Uh, so, the domestic policies and issues, I can imagine, that will be a very challenging uh, uh, for us. Yeah. Yeah, and so. Uh... I guess my question then is, yeah, given that situation, I mean, what it must affect the priorities of of what you think is possible to achieve in the next four years. So, um, I mean, mm. are you guys still kind of putting together what you think that might be, or do you have a sense now of what you think are, uh, you know, one of your most important priorities as a party, but also what you think is can realistically be accomplished? Mm -hmm. 
Yeah, I, I, I think there are a couple of uh, priorities that we put it uh, in, in our put into our agendas. Um, for example, the first of all, uh, I think the people's livelihood, the economy, is still uh, I think the main objective that we we need to uh, uh, really need to pursue. Uh, for the past eight years, during uh, DPP, I mean, under President Tsai's um, governance, that we focus a lot on our social welfare uh, improvement. So uh, we passed a lot of bills uh, and also some special budget for, for the social welfare uh, stipends and for the general public, uh, including uh, the long-term care, including uh, uh, for the young parents, and, and also uh, young students who are living uh, uh, outside of their cities and need to rent a house. We provide a lot of uh, these kind of subsidies uh, to uh, the ordinary people, who, people who we need. Um, so in the future four years, if we want to secure that uh, trajectory, uh, we definitely need to uh, uh, secure the budget. So that's a one of the uh, priorities I think set by uh, uh, the president-elect William Lai. But the second thing is that the, uh, in the past eight years that we saw uh, the economy growth in Taiwan, uh, we are on the right path. Uh, we are doing uh, 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 the, the so-called uh, de-risking policies. Now I'm trying to diversify our investments uh, uh, to uh, more different countries rather than putting all the eggs in one bucket. So uh, in the past, KMT's government focusing purely on uh, Chinese economy. So they invite or encourage Taiwanese business to move into China, to, to invest in China. But our policy during these eight years is not. We are doing uh, totally different directions. We try to diversify our investments into Southeast Asia, uh, into uh, the countries, uh, like-minded countries in Europe, in the US and also uh, like Canada, UK, uh, all those countries. So well, we're going to, to keep continuing uh, this path. Uh, that's the second uh, objective that we need to uh, move on. But third thing, uh, I think that's also one of the top priorities for us is our military reform. The defense reforms for us uh, is quite crucial because we know that Chinese expansionism uh, uh, it's still uh, one of the topics that uh, the, the world right now uh, is focusing on. Uh, not just the regional countries like Japan, Korea, Taiwan are focusing on. And you see even uh, in Southeast Asian countries like Philippines right now face a very serious uh, attack uh, or like uh, their water being invaded by, by, by POA or by uh, Chinese uh, fishing ships. So... Uh, that reality caused us uh, to focus more on our defense reform. So we're going to push forward uh, the defense reform by rising uh, the defense budget. But indeed, <laughs> again, uh, it's also very challenging because we have the LOI that uh, uh, the opposition parties are, uh, I mean, combining two opposition parties that they're the majority. So uh, it's really challenging for us. Uh, okay, so we've got three. We've got uh, continuing the sort of domestic uh, economic policies, especially subsidies for certain programs. We've got the um, the uh, expand, expanding trade with like-minded countries, and then we've got military reforms. So on those three mm -hmm. topics, I mean, 
what is your current sense of where you're likely to find allies in the legislature for those? You know, I imagine that the military spending is probably the easiest one. I feel like there's at least some consensus in Taiwan that, mm -hmm. you know, increasing military spending is, is a good thing, or unless I'm wrong about that, but that's my sense. No. Uh, but, mm -hmm. uh, and even maybe the domestic, well, let's start with domestic programs. I mean, do you see any potential allies in the TPP or KMT uh, for getting those programs funded? Does that, do you feel like there's some, uh, some allies there? To be honest, that during the campaign that, well, the KMT uh, claims that they uh, will support the rising uh, of the military budget. Uh, mm. but, uh, but the problem is that uh, uh, the strategy of our defense reform, uh, they are on the different track, uh, different track with us. They, uh, are, as I understand, is that during the campaign that uh, inside the KMT, they still have a different, a lot of different opinions that even in the KMT caucus, some of the KMT legislators, they are suggesting to invest more on the conventional uh, weapon systems. And some of the KMT uh, legislators, they are opposing to add uh, budgets on defense uh, because uh, they believe that if you can have the uh, 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 better communication or dialogues with China, uh, you then you don't need to put the money into our defense uh, uh, reforms. So I believe that they still need to navigate and still need to figure out their uh, party stance on this. So that's the first challenge. Uh, uh, but the second is that I believe that China would definitely put a lot of pressures on, uh, on especially KMT side. Um, and to force them to oppose the certain reforms pushed by the DPP administration. Um, so if that is the case, um, you can imagine that it would be very challenging for us to pass any kind of a budget, uh, especially the military budget. But the second, another part for another political party, TPP, the Taiwan People's Party, um, uh, led by uh, one of the presidential candidate, Ke Wenzhe, uh, we actually... <laughs> We've never know what's uh, his actual his actual uh, defense strategy, and his uh, actual policy stance uh, for any issues. So during these uh, campaigns, uh, he didn't really uh, 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 publish his uh, 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 any specific ideas on on defense. So. So we don't really actually know his stance, and right now, uh, he's not uh, uh he's not an uh, LY member. He's not a uh, parliament member. Um, the, the parliament caucus is led by uh, Huang Guochang. He's one also one of the uh, Sunflower Movement participants. Uh, but um, uh, we don't actually know what's a, Is there any kind of a different stance between them, uh, between Huang Guochang and between Ke Wenzhe? Uh, that's one question. So we uh, yeah, and I don't suppose I believe, you have uh, any uh, political collect or uh, personal connection that might help you uh, <laughs> work with Wong. I I I don't have that right now. <laughs> yeah. I personally okay. don't have any kind of personal connections with him. <laughs> so, right. Okay, so, fair enough. Yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So 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 that 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 brings the challenges uh, to 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 us. Yeah, indeed. So the. Mm. 
the other one you mentioned, I think, is the one that is probably the most controversial between, you know, DPP and K KMT, which is the kind of uh, expanding trade, emphasizing trade with countries other than China. Uh, because I think that uh, many in the KMT and certainly China would say that this is a kind of snub to China itself. Uh, but that does actually bring me to a certain question, uh, which is related, um, which is about the powers of the president. Uh, so you're in a situation where you know you might not be able to get votes in the legislature, uh, and yet you know you have a branch of government that has its own powers. So um, tell us a little bit about what the president and the executive yuan, uh, which is the, essentially the cabinet of the Taiwan government, uh, what powers do they have that they can, in order to implement policy and reform without needing uh, laws passed through the legislature? Uh, yeah, that's a good question. That's always been the, the topics that we're, uh, that's even the topics that we're discussing right now, I mean, uh, uh, within the party. That, uh, well, in the past, we have one experience uh, during 2000 and 2008 uh, when Chen Shui-bian, uh, I mean, the DPP uh, first being elected as the, uh, uh, for the presidency. Uh, so during that eight years that uh, we also have the minority government that we won the uh, presidency but lose the uh, majority in the Y. Uh, so uh, during that time, the President Chen still can uh, do a lot of reforms, uh, no matter it's on our healthcare systems uh, or uh, some of the uh, financial uh, reforms. Uh, he can still do that uh, on the basis of the, uh, uh, the executive power. But in terms of budget, especially budget, that you really need the, the, the approval uh, by, uh, by the LY. So uh, I think in the next four years that we're also in the similar situation that uh, you have to negotiate with the opposition party. So I believe that is similar to, uh, somehow similar to the U.S. Uh, system that uh, even the current Biden administration also faces a similar situation, right? That the parliament, you have the uh, uh, Republican parliament, uh, Republican Congress. So I believe that in democratic countries that we all uh, have that kind of similar problems uh, in the past. So uh, Taiwan's experience will not be so different from the others. But the only differences we have is that uh, Taiwan has not uh, just uh, the domestic oppositions. We also have an outside factor, uh, which is China. How China would place their roles in like uh, stopping your certain reforms or utilize uh, certain controversial issues to split or to separate your divide your 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 uh, civil society. Uh, that's a problem we will face. Uh, just to make, you know, one more follow-up question about, you know, the comparison to the U.S. Uh, in terms of the split government, because if you only have a one-vote majority uh, in your particular party, it's guaranteed that they will vote the same basically every time. Uh, and if you have a divided government, it's been shown, like, you nothing will get done. I mean, it's it's almost nothing, not even passing the basic budget for the government to run. 
I mean, and now mm -hmm. every time there is an opposition party in Congress, there's a showdown uh, every year, basically, for just to fund the government itself. Um, I don't get the sense in Taiwan that that the partisanship is quite that severe. Uh, I, I get the sense that there's like slightly more consensus on basic issues like funding the government. Or am I wrong? I mean, do you think that the the kind of um, polarization of of politics in Taiwan is is that severe, or do you think it's uh, not quite at that level? I think it's getting more and more serious than before. Mm. I mean, I mean the, uh, the 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 polarizations or uh, a division of views between two political the two or three political parties that's getting worse. That's um, um, I would say that uh, those differences are not purely based on uh, the ideologies, but more about the political political calculations. So, I mean, for especially for this time, you can see that um, uh, the on on China issue, you can you can you you can see that 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 difference. I mean, between two political parties, KMT and DPP, certainly have a totally different views. But on social welfare, that uh, in the past eight years, that where there are some conflicts between how we use the money, how we use the budget for the infrastructure, uh, in uh, infrastructure uh, buildings that uh, we have the budget for social welfare. Uh, KMT will oppose that definitely uh, in the past, but. Uh, in the future, you can see that because we, they they well they are not winning the majority, but combining with TPP, they 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 are forming a new uh call. If they are forming a new coalition or or so called the uh, uh, uh majority, uh, they can oppose everything and to uh just uh, just to stop you from uh from achieving any goals. That's the main objective. So, so that's what I'm worried that the, the situation is getting worse because there's no, uh, uh, no consensus among uh, different parties uh, on, uh, I mean, the variety of the issues. Yeah. Although I'm, I'm curious about in particular, you know, the social welfare issues and the TPP, because it did seem like, you know, the TPP is, is much more popular among younger people. A lot of these social welfare programs are aimed at younger people. So, um, I mean, do you feel like they would, that it would be, from the TPP's point of view, would it be, would the political benefit be greater to block the ruling party from getting things done than it would be to actually address the issues of their, uh, you know, constituents who are, tend to be younger voters? I mean, do you see any areas of agreement with them on that? Uh, I would personally say that uh, I'm not that optimistic about <laughs> about the cooperations or agreements that can be reached by uh, by TPP with us. Uh, but uh, I mean, as the uh, as a DPP member, I still hope that we can have the consensus and uh, building by I mean between TPP and DPP. Uh, but to be honest, that uh, as I said that. Uh, because we are in a very difficult situation that we won't every first uh, the, the very first time uh, in Taiwan's history that the, the single party wins a certain uh, 
so for a lot of uh, for the opposition party is kind of um, uh, 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 challenging for for them as well because uh, they need to gain people's trust and need to win the uh, next election um, and they they really eager to win the powers uh, uh, four years later so I can imagine that uh, it will this situation will bring more political calculations rather than the actual uh, thinking of uh, like achieving uh, certain agendas. I think winning the next election would be on the top of the agenda for the opposition party uh, to break the current uh, uh, like a, uh, situation because they will definitely worry that uh, that if the DPP can secure the fourth turn uh, uh, right. In Taiwan's democratic history, and and they they will definitely worry about the situation that they cannot be easily to 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 defeat DPP again. So I think this in these four years they will definitely push very hard to, uh, not for the specific issues, uh, for the progress of the specific issues, but they were focusing more on the political, uh, uh how to gain the political score. <laughs> And, and right. trying to score the political points to to win the next election. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I know that this uh, last election has only ended, but uh, since you brought up the next election, I guess uh, it's worth uh, talking about that a little bit. And um, mm -hmm. yeah, I do want to ask a little bit about, um, you know, what the DPP feels like. What were the lessons learned in this last election? Uh, because they did manage to you know, squeak out a victory in the presidency, uh, but it was not a majority of people supporting Lai Qingde. Uh, they obviously mm -hmm. lost 10 seats in the legislature, lost their majority there. Um, so it, it, I think it's difficult to call it a true victory in some ways. Uh, I mean, certainly there's a, there's a message being sent, I think, from the people of Taiwan that, uh, you know, maybe the DPP doesn't quite have the mandate it would like to have uh, mm. And now we have this split uh, government, uh, and that's yeah. going to make it difficult to accomplish their goals. So I think the DDP is in a tough spot, you know. So I I, uh, I want to ask, you know, what were the lessons you learned from this last election, and how do you plan to use these next four years to, yeah, make your case to the voters that uh, you should actually get the reins, the full reins on the government uh, next time? Yeah, the, uh, that's a good question, and <laughs> to be honest, that the uh... Uh, this well, we won't say it's a a a, a defeat. Uh, while it's also not a a pure uh pure victory, uh, it's a challenging situation. Uh, but we also noticed that is uh, as I said, that uh, uh, the 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 very first time that the Singapore Party wins a certain. So the situation that uh at least the lesson we learned is that. Uh, in these eight years, while we made a lot of progress of, on uh, the variety of issues and uh, policies, uh, but uh, people still have uh, the fatigue uh, with their current establishment. That's the challenging we are facing right now. Um, so I would say the TPP phenomenon, uh, especially the Kerwinger's phenomenon, uh, is somehow uh, resonate with me about, I mean, 
I won't say it's a like a Trump phenomenon. It's like it's more, but but it's indeed have some. Uh, there's some elements. Uh, is similar to uh, the anti-establishment uh, sentiment. Um, so, so how to break that uh, anti-establishment sentiment? How to build? I mean, regain the trust from the people uh, to believe that this system, uh, this especially this political system and institution, uh, institution still is still working, and it's. Uh, and and it's not just getting uh, work, but also it's getting improved. Uh, uh, that's somehow we need to think about. Uh, we we really need to, need to think about. Yeah. So, I would say that in the next four years, uh, we really need to communicate with the grassroots, uh, especially the, the the general public, on a more frequent basis. Not just not not just communicate with them during the campaign or during election. But for every policy uh, uh, conductions or, or, or uh, uh, to, to convey any kind of ideas, we really need to go down to uh, the grassroots and to really hear what they want and to build a new connection with our constituencies and, and those uh, people who were not supporting us uh, in this campaign. Yeah. So... That that's a real challenging. If you ask me the answer, how do we? I mean, uh, how how can we effectively do that? Uh, I don't really have the answer, but I believe that we need to move on. Uh, and to rethink about, we should build another grassroots movements. Uh, for the party, and to rethink about our organizations, and uh, to invite more people to join the party, and also to um to restart uh, the programs like uh, in the past during the social movement era that's uh, uh, communicating with the grassroots on a daily basis. And uh, we need community movements uh, to, 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 uh, to attract people um, and uh, to gain their trust. So somehow I believe that's the one direction that we need to move on. Okay, uh, there's one last uh, domestic policy issue I'd like to ask you about, and uh, I, I confess it's a little bit of a hobby horse for me, um, but uh, you know, I think that it's uh, very important, which is about the low wages in Taiwan. Uh, because mm -hmm. I've had, you know, I've had experts on this show talking about this issue before, and mm -hmm. uh, I, I think that it's just, I consider it to be a crisis. I mean, I think that we should think of it not just as a problem, but I believe there is a wage crisis in Taiwan because, um, you know, we have a situation where if you compare to, say, South Korea, which has an almost identical level of GDP per capita to Taiwan, uh, their minimum wage is double Taiwan's minimum wage, and their median wage is is 40% higher. Uh, mm -hmm. And then if you compare to things like the cost of housing in Taipei, you know, it's it's close to what it might cost on average in a city like London. Uh, but, yeah. you know, salaries are, you know, less than half on average of, of what people might make in a city like that. And, um, you know, the DPP also has this uh, dream of making Taiwan a bilingual country by 2030. Uh, but if the wages stay at this rate of growth by 2030, uh, and, you, ha you know, if people truly were bilingual, 
uh, I don't really know how many people would stay. <laughs> I mean, I think that you actually <laughs> could could increase the brain drain in Taiwan mm. if that yeah. policy was carried out. Now, I must confess, I'm skeptical mm. that Taiwan will become bilingual by 2030. But I'm just saying, mm-hmm. um, you know, I guess I want to ask you, you know, does the DPP have a plan to address this? I, I, I think that um, the only tool the government really has is to increase the minimum wage uh, mm-hmm. and just use that to put pressure on wages overall. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, so far, you know, in eight years of signing one, uh, we are still below thirty thousand NT dollars, uh, or uh, below one thousand US dollars per month for the minimum wage. And uh, if that's the same in another four years, uh, well, I don't know. I'd like to be able to say that I'm wrong, but I, I think that that's going to be a hard case to mm-hmm. to to bring to voters. So uh, now that I've gotten off my soapbox about this, uh, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, does yeah. does, does the DPP see this as the same at the same level of urgency that I do? And, and if so, what's their plan? Yeah, it's indeed uh, it's indeed very urgent for us. Uh, I I think not just for the party, but for uh, the general public as well, especially the young people. Uh, the but the problem is that uh, uh, I I uh, if I may, I will bring some uh, I I'll mention about some context that we uh, uh, the, of the current situation. Is that uh, Taiwan's, I mean, the low low uh, wages uh, problems that we have been facing in, uh, I think I, I, I could say it's a two decades, or already for two decades. But a really uh, pivotal point for, uh, I mean, Taiwan's wage to stagnate uh, uh, in the certain amount of money. Uh, it's really during, uh, it's happened it's actually during the uh, KMT period during uh, 2008 to 2016. Uh, during that time, many Taiwanese people still have the memory about like uh, the so-called twenty-two uh, k uh, salaries mm. uh, that's set by the government uh, because uh, the unemployment rate is too high, so the government need to to f- provide more jobs uh, for the young uh, university student when once they graduate. So they set a a, a minimum wage on like twenty-two thousand, yeah, twenty-two thousand uh, a month. Uh, I mean, uh, new NT dollars. Uh, so, uh, that is the that that is the uh, wrong policies that brings the high one into the stagnation of the uh, the salary because, uh, the government provide those jobs in the universities, and so a lot of business found that oh, oh, I I can I can hire uh, college students uh once they graduate uh, uh only uh like for like. Twenty-two thousand a month. Right. Why should I pay more, uh, like a like a thirty thirty thousand uh a month for them? So so the stagnation for that salary becomes like a a, a, a vicious circles for 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 the young people, uh, for many years. It it is really wait until uh prison sizing aggregations after two thousand sixteen. Now we rise the minimum uh, wage every year. Uh, well, uh, you can say that the path uh, is not fast enough. Uh, uh, we we also recognize it's not fast enough. But what what we have been doing in these eight years is trying to gradually raise that uh, uh, the minimum wage by the means we can. So, so 
there is a progress there uh, for these eight years. Well, the past, the speed is not fast enough, then, and, and, and the inflation rate is still a problem that we recognize that. But there is a progress of that. We saw that. And, but on the other hand, we noticed that while it's pretty hard for us to directly push uh, the business, especially enterprise, to, 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 to increase their wages for uh, their laborers and employees. But so what we did uh, during these eight years, we provide, as, we, as, as I mentioned before, is that we provide a lot of subsidies uh, and also the tax cut uh, for uh, the young families and especially people uh, whose salary is uh, lower the certain amount of money. Um, so we actually increase the more uh, fundings for for those young families and those people who are in need. So uh, there are two ways to do that. One is that uh, gradually rise the money minimum wage. That that's what the current the current trajectory, the current path, the current policy that we have we have been doing. But in another way is to still maintaining and improving our social welfare system to helping more other uh, more more people uh, who needs who need to raise a key who need to take care of their elders and who who really need to rent a house. And so what we did in these eight years is providing those fundings for them. And that's including in our pact, uh, our social welfare pact. So uh, these two ways, I, I believe that we're maintaining to, uh, I mean, will we'll be maintained and we'll continue continuing to do that. But on the other hand, I would say in the next four years, we really need to, really need to do uh, is really need to focus on how to uh, to to invite more business to encourage them to share their uh, the the I mean the benefits they get and uh, to share more with uh, uh, with uh, their employees and that would bring another an an an, an uh, I mean uh, an, an another rise for the salaries and how how to do that to be honest I uh, I personally that's my personal opinion is that we really need to think about it, uh, certain regulations and certain reforms on our laws so the next four years I believe that we really need to think about the reforms on on, on uh, a certain regulation for the business uh, how many percentage of the uh, the profits they need to share with the uh, their uh, uh, employees uh, I, I believe that is uh, uh, that's one way. If we can successfully do that, and uh, to uh, on the one hand not squeezing uh, Taiwanese business too hard, and can maintain their economic uh, Taiwanese economic growth, but on the other hand can provide more uh, I mean uh, um, uh, fundings and monies for the, their employees. Uh, that's probably the the way we need to think about. So the reforms on on. I mean, uh, how to share the profits uh, from the company is something we really, really need to think about. But indeed, uh, uh, we really need to face uh, 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 two sides of issues. On the one hand, Taiwan's economy is growing right is growing right now. How to maintain the path? On the other hand, and uh, when our economy is grow- growing, uh, how to share the profits and benefits to uh, the grassroots workers uh, uh, by every d- ways we can do, by regulations, by, uh, by, by, by passing bills, that probably we 
uh, probably the ways we need, really need to uh, think about. Okay, well, I'll just make one more point <laughs> to drive this home since uh, because I do yeah. think that I mm. do really think Taiwan needs to think about this as a national security issue because, you know, you can increase yeah. the uh, conscription to a year. But if those people, you know, especially younger people uh, don't feel like they're going to have a good life when they get out, uh, you know, they may not feel like fighting when the time really comes. And so I do yeah. feel like this should be viewed with the same level of urgency as military budgets and um, everything else related to security, because I do actually consider it to be an even bigger threat to Taiwanese society than China in some ways. Uh, yeah. But now that we're yeah. on the topic of China, I can't talk to someone from the DPP without talking about cross-strait relations. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, okay. yeah, and, I, and obviously, you know, we've even sort of, you know, all the topics in Taiwan domestic issues, there's always this kind of ghost lingering in the background, uh, which is China. And of course, DPP, uh, you know, I think both within and outside Taiwan is viewed um, as the party who is a little bit uh, more uh, antagonistic towards China, or at least more willing to stand their ground uh, on a lot of issues. Uh, and I think that's actually produced a lot of positive results for Taiwan in a lot of ways, and certainly raised Taiwan's um, international, uh, the, the image of Taiwan abroad, I think, has really expanded under Tsai Ing-wen's leadership. And she's really brought the spotlight onto the problem uh, that Taiwan faces with China. Uh, on the other hand, I, you know, I do want to ask you a little bit about, um, you know, what do you think the DPP can offer in terms of what I call proactive engagement with China. Because I feel like, uh, and I do blame China primarily for getting relations to be this bad between Taiwan and China. On the other hand, you know, I do feel like I keep hearing from the DPP that all, you know, we're willing to negotiate with China just as long as there's no preconditions. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, the longer you say that, the more this kind of becomes its own precondition in a certain way. Uh, and so I guess I would kind of like to know, you know, do you see, aside from just saying no preconditions and waiting for China to sort of uh, concede on that issue, which we know that they will not, um, does the DPP sort of have any other, um, any other areas they think that they can be proactive in trying to approach China in terms of, of negotiating on? Because, um, I, I, you know, I imagine a scenario that would, where... The DPP is the one sort of reaching out to China with an offer, a serious offer for, you know, whether it's trade or tourism or whatever it is. And, you know, if China smacks their hand when they reach it out, uh, I think that that just adds more to the case of, for the DPP to say, like, that China is the one being unreasonable. Um, so, I don't know. I mean, tell us where the yeah, DPP yeah. is at on this. Uh to be honest, uh, if you look at the backgrounds that in these past eight years, that in 2016, uh, when President Tsai first inaugurated, uh, during the, uh, I mean, in the inauguration speech, she actually made an effort of like providing an alternative terms uh, uh, for, I mean, welcoming uh, dialogues between Taiwan and China. She said uh, a lot of time, uh, we, well, we won't, uh, she didn't say we won't 
recognize uh, something, but she offers the platform like uh, we understand there is a historical fact of the dialogues between Taiwan and China in in two thousand uh, in nineteen ninety two. Uh, use that as your uh, uh, some kind of alternative gestures, uh, rather than the uh, came to your CCP's nineteen ninety two consensus. Uh, um, that uh, specific phrase, uh, well, for a lot of a lot of Taiwanese people at the time, uh, uh, they won't actually the majority of Taiwanese people won't recognize that is there is a certain kind of a consensus between Taiwan and China in nineteen ninety two, but we still uh, trying to offering uh, some alternative to. To China, uh, but uh, China didn't wel- uh, welcome this. Um, so, and, and you know what's happening after uh, after this. The the Chinese official came out to say, uh, "This is the uh, the 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 question hasn't been. Uh, I mean, uh, the question hasn't been fulfilled, uh, hasn't been answered." Right. <laughs> uh, so there's always been some blanket, uh, 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 some, uh, some, uh, how to say in in Chinese term is like we So it's it, it is the uh, the uh, the set of questions hasn't been answered. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so that's Chinese terms. Uh, so during these eight years that we saw the lot of uh, 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 a, a lot of ways that Beijing is doing to Taiwan. Is that they try to push, uh, Taiwan to accept, uh, only on one condition is that you are agreeing, uh, Taiwan, being part of China, uh, that's uh, the uh, the idea they want to push forward, and so they are cooperating with oppositions and trying to push oppositions to agree with and to emphasize the nineteen ninety two consensus to reiterate their stance on uh, agreeing. Uh, on 1992 consensus in Taiwan, this is what they are doing. Uh, but from our side, it's always been like, we have made uh, certain efforts to try to navigate the possibility of continuing dialogue, uh, having dialogue with China. Uh, but China didn't really welcome it. Uh, the, the only thing that China will welcome uh, from the DPP side is that you just uh, need to agree with that Taiwan uh, it's part of China, yeah. So accepting one China principle, accepting one China policy, accepting one China framework is the only way to gain their uh, uh, so called the approval or, or 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 the chance of dialogues. So, uh, to be honest, in the ne- right. uh, in the next four years, yeah. Sorry, sorry. No, I was just gonna say. I mean, yeah, all of that. I, I think it is kind of a given, though. You know, this kind of, which is kind of the point I'm trying to make is like we know what China's conditions are, yeah. and they're not going to change. Yeah. Right. And we know yeah. that they're not really reasonable. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah. So, nevertheless. Yeah. Uh, oh, mm. go ahead. Yeah. So 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 for our side is that we 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 know uh where the obstacles came from uh so. Uh, in the past eight years, in the in in the next four years, we're also still facing that. Uh, but I believe that the uh, um, 
the future Lai administration after May 20th, uh, after inaugurations, uh, he would definitely try to uh, offer more uh, as what President Tsai uh, did uh, eight years ago. Uh, still uh, trying to send the friendly uh, 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 gestures uh, to China and uh, welcome the dialogues. Uh, of course, we will definitely maintain uh, our current stance that we will not accepting any kind of political preconditions, but uh, we definitely will come the uh, crush dialogues uh, on the basis of that you know, no one is asking an, an other side to accepting the certain terms. Uh, so on the basis of the current uh, uh, policy or principle of crush dialogues we have is that uh, uh, through, I mean, the mutual respect and uh, peaceful ways and respect of Taiwanese people's will. It's, a, it's the only way to have the, uh, I mean, healthy dialogues between Taiwan and China. Yeah. So we definitely maintain that. But um, if there is any, any specific uh, uh, issues or areas that we can looking forward uh, to cooperate with China, I would personally say that we all face the uh, very challenging uh, global issues right now, for example, uh, climate change. Uh, that's the one area that I believe that China is also facing a very serious threat of that. Um, Taiwan also, as an island country, that we also face that. Uh, but if that, uh, if that area can be uh, the area that Taiwan and China uh, to seek uh, deeper cooperation, um, I, I think if that can be the case, uh, that would be great. I believe that the DPP administration were eager to have the dialogues on these issues with China. Uh, but on the other hand, uh, if China re really willing to do that, uh, it's another issue. So uh, I do believe that the future William Lai administration will definitely push forward for the certain uh, areas that uh, it's a global challenging that we uh, are facing together and we really need to seek cooperation together I believe that they will, we will offer uh, these kind of uh, 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 platforms. Uh, but still, uh, on the on the seventy issues, uh, if they are pushing us uh, uh, for us, I mean, to accept the, the so-called one China frameworks as a precondition uh, for dialogues, I I don't really think that the Taiwanese people will accept that. It's not the uh, DPP, uh, it's not just a DPP's position. I believe that is also the majority uh, of Taiwanese people's thinking. Yeah. Yeah. No. I mean, I agree with that, and I, I mm. would never, you know, suggest that Taiwan should necessarily mm. accept the 1992 consensus because mm. I, I don't think as you know, it's one of those. It's a talking point of saying one, but I actually agree that there there is no consensus <laughs> at all. That this is a misleading <laughs> term. Um, yeah, but yeah. you know what? I guess what I do feel like there could be some kind of public diplomatic gains to be had from Taiwan, and you kind of have an advantage with the unmovable object of China, knowing that they will refuse over and over again. But if you can sort of build this, uh, you know, uh, portfolio of examples of all mm. the times that we've tried to work with them, all the offers that we've made, and we've done it over and over. Mm in public mm. and every time they refuse you know i think that that actually has some very powerful diplomatic benefits for taiwan 
if you can do it in a in yeah. a proactive, yeah. consistent, and public way. Uh, yeah. So, yeah. Um, yeah. but 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 for for, uh, for this point, I would say that uh, there is a contradictory. Uh, I mean, contradiction that we need to face is that on the one hand, I mean, uh, if the friendly gestures means uh, mean for us is to accepting. Uh, is to accept the, the so-called one China framework. Uh, I'm not including that. international. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah, I, yeah. I mean, I mean, yeah. So, so we're actually we're thinking. Uh, we're 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 thinking of every possibilities uh, for having the dialogues with China. Uh, but the problem is that the only one, the China only one, uh, only wants one thing is that you're agreeing with one China, that you are including in this one China. So uh, that's a challenge we face. Uh, but I, the contradiction that I, I, I mentioned is that we really need to think about, well, if you are agreeing uh, the so-called one China, then internationally speaking, you you will lose your, your I mean, legal claims on on the international stage internationally so uh that's a that's a problem we face we see the current uh, uh situation is that china trying to utilize their uh uh some 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 of the tactics called lawfare uh tactics so they try to yeah. push every uh country uh in the world to accepting that their interpretation of the resolution of the un resolution 20 uh, 2758 that they want to push every country to accept that that resolution means that Taiwan's uh, Taiwan status has been solved and Ch- Taiwan belongs to China or subject to uh, one China. Uh, so if we are agreeing on the certain concept on your on our uh, 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 government documents, uh, any government uh, government stance or documents, uh, you are agreeing with the claims uh, set by China. That would be that would cause a serious problem for Taiwan's existence, on uh, on the international stage. So that's an international law uh, problem. So 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 the contradiction is quite clear that uh, in the past eight years we're also on the one hand thinking about alternative, but uh, still, uh, 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 to my understanding, is that there won't be any kind of uh, uh, alternative or leeway for us. Uh, uh, especially uh, accepting the terms about China. Yeah. 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 And I think, you know, I guess my point was more about I mean, maybe it would be less about mm-hmm. setting the terms for negotiations since we know that there mm-hmm. will never come to an agreement on that and rather just kind of continually mm-hmm. offering specific policies that you might want to work with them on. Like you said, climate change is a great start. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah. I, I feel like if you did that over and over again, just saying like, we're not going to agree to 1992 consensus or these other terms, mm. but also there's this, mm. and then you just keep getting no reply. Uh, that's the kind of yeah. thing I think could be good for Taiwan. But uh, I do want to be yeah. respectful of your time. And, uh, you know, we've gotten over an hour here and uh, there, there's yeah. so much more to talk about, about prostrate issues, but it will have to be for another episode. Uh, and yeah, I'd love to have you back on uh, sometime, maybe to talk about foreign policy a little bit more. Yeah, sure, sure, um, sure. Yeah, thank you so much. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no, thank you so much for coming on here. And um, yeah, uh, have a good one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You too.
Have a great holidays. Okay. It's a straight up podcast.